Today we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts. We're doing a sermon series. We're going to go through this book in the New Testament, leading right up into Christmas time. It was really interesting. I was just cleaning out my shed this uh, this past couple of weeks, getting ready to get all the summer stuff put away, put that back in the shed, take out the winter stuff. I'm looking at my winter tires. I'm looking at my Christmas decorations. And this wave of depression kind of hit me, if I was really honest. <laughs> it's like, it can't be this time already. And because I planned so much of my life around Sunday morning, like I know where we're going doing what we're asking God and what we're praying leading right up into Advent. And I'm sitting there going, man, 2021 is already over. <laughs> but this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going through this book right up until Advent season. And we're looking at what does it mean to be Christians in this world that we live in today? What does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this culture that we find ourselves living in? especially I find these days, I mean, I've been a pastor now for 15 years. I've been a follower of Jesus for over 20 years. And, and I don't know about you, but when it comes to things of faith, it, it seems like faith is becoming harder to talk about. Anyone feel that way? Just show of hands. You're just feeling faith. Things of faith is harder to talk about these days. And if you're joining us at church online, put it in the chat going, yeah, Rev Kev, you're right. I feel that way too. Right? What is it about the culture that we live in today that makes it difficult to talk about Jesus? That makes it difficult to talk about faith? And when we finally have those opportunities, and sometimes they do feel rare that we have these opportunities to talk about faith, when we finally get the opportunity, again, show of hands, I want participation, so I know you're paying attention this morning. How many of you find yourself at a loss for words? Just me. Okay, I'm the only one who doesn't know what to say when we have to talk about Jesus to people. That's what my seminary degree got me. I have no clue how to talk about Jesus. Just me? Other hands are going up. Okay, great. In the chat, the church online, put your hand up. So we just find ourselves stuck. What am I supposed to say here? What am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to respond to all of this stuff? When I was a brand new Christian, again, I, I, I became a Christian about 20, 21 years ago. It was 1998. So I'll let you do the math because I don't do math on Sunday morning. Okay, so 1998, I become a Christian. That was around the time, some of you who are like my age, you'll remember this, when Dan Brown's book came out, The Da Vinci Code. So here I am, brand new Christian, brand new, brand spanking new, reading my Bible on my coffee break, reading my Bible on my lunch break. Everyone in my office, I was a computer consultant at the time, going, what happened to Kevin? He used to be cool. Now he's weird. He used to get drunk with us. Now he's reading his Bible. What's going on here? And everyone is reading this book, The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> and like, Kevin, well, what about this? Well, what about this thing? What about Jesus getting married to Mary Magdalene and having all these kids? What about the cover-up of the Catholic Church? What about this conspiracy? What about this conspiracy? And I'm looking at them, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean you don't know what you're talking about? This is like, this is like real live stuff. I go, well, where did you get the book? Because I've never, I've never, I haven't read it. They go, well, it's, in, it's at the bookstore. I go, well, okay, well, I went looking for it and I couldn't find it. Where is it? And they said, well, it's in the fiction section. <laughs> it's not in the historical section. 
It wasn't in the religious section. It was in the fiction section. But so often, fiction in our culture today has a way of taking much deeper roots than reality. And we actually, as a culture, make a lot of fiction real. And then we're sitting here now as followers of Jesus going, I I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) Because everyone's believing fiction about the church. Believing fiction about pastors, you know, fiction about what we do in these buildings on Sunday morning or during the week. I still have family members. I've been a pastor for 15 years. I still have family members who think I work one day a week. And like, talk to my executive assistant and you'll know I don't. (laughs) But they, they just have no clue. So how do we even address this? That's what I want us to talk about today of being a church on the go. To be a church on the go, it starts with the church figuring out how to talk about Jesus. So again, we're doing this sermon series through the book of Acts. Acts shows us the life of the early church here. It records for us how the church responded to living out their faith in a world that was actually quite hostile to the message and teachings of Jesus, right? Jesus said these words in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says this to his followers. He says, you, you, my disciples, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus calls his followers to be witnesses. Starts right where you are expands out a little bit more, expands out a little bit more, and eventually you go all around the world as witnesses of Jesus. And so what we started doing, we started this series in week one, and we talked about how you have the power to go and make disciples. If you have put your faith in Jesus to save you of your sin, that same power that empowered the disciples in the early parts of the book of Acts that same power that gave Peter this strength and this boldness to preach the gospel in such a way where 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, you have the exact same power. And that's why I say constantly, unapologetically, we as the church need to stop comparing ourselves to Peter in the gospel of disowning Jesus, of telling people I don't even know who he is, of little faith, of weakness, and even to the point where Jesus tells Peter his plans. I'm going to go to the cross to save mankind from all of their sins. And Peter says, no way, no how, I don't want that to happen. And Jesus has to rebuke one of his best friends and says, get behind me, Satan. Too often we compare ourselves to Peter in the Gospels instead of Peter from the book of Acts. You. Yeah, you. And I'm going to make eye contact. (laughs) You in the camera at home, you have the power to go if you put your faith in Jesus. And then last week, Jazz continued our series talking about fellowship and how fellowship is worth the risk to save the loss. That's why here as a church, one of our core values is to be real. And if you ever want to know what our core values are, they're hanging up all on the walls here. So we got our core value of being real. Over here it says Sunday masks are not required. <laughs> we came up with that four years ago. 
(laughs) Now they're required. (laughs) But what we meant by that was being fake is not required. You see, the church should be the safest place in the world to wrestle with things of faith. The church should be the safest place in the world to confess our sin to one another. Because you and I have been so forgiven all of our sins. The Bible said you were an enemy of God and God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And so we need to be so loving and so forgiving of one another for what end? So we can keep on sinning? No. So that we can be built up to go. But that happens in the context of relationships. And that's why every week we say, if you're not in a life group, join a life group. If you're not in a life group, join a life group. Well, Pastor Kevin, I'm really sick of you telling me this. Good. It's my French Canadian guilt working on you slowly. Okay. Join a life group. That's where fellowship happens. That's ship happens. So, and it's worth the risk. It's worth being real and transparent to people when suddenly you see it transforming people's lives. And so today we're going to continue. We're going to jump into Acts chapter four. So if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along that way. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, there's a feature in there called events. And if you open that up, you can actually get the sermon outline and the biblical text in the YouVersion Bible app now. And if you're joining us at Church Online, we'll post some of the uh, scriptures for you there at Church Online. What we're talking about today is as we are called to be a church on the go, if you want to go, if you want to be a part of the mission of Jesus, it starts with learning how to talk about Jesus. So let's read here, Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading here. So this is what Luke records for us here. He says, chapter 4, verse 1, says, The priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And so they, being the priests, the captain of the guard, the Sadducees, they were greatly disturbed Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So their number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. I'm just going to pause here for a moment. This is continuing what we see the Holy Spirit doing in the first four chapters of the book of Acts. At the beginning of Acts chapter 1, you've got about 120 people huddled up, hiding out, afraid in a room. The Holy Spirit shows up, gives them the power to go, and they do. They start in Jerusalem. They just step outside the front door, and they begin to preach. And they go from 120 to about 3,120, give or take a person here or there. And then they continue on this mission of telling more people about Jesus. And now here in Acts chapter 4, it jumps and it says, now we're up to about 5,000 men, specifically. And which is very similar to how uh, the other gospel writers recorded miracles of Jesus, like when he multiplied the, the bread and the fish, they counted the men. That's just how it worked culturally back then. And so now, so if you're going, so now it's about 5,000 men. 
you can probably assume this is significantly well over 10,000 people. Their wives, their children, you know, and they probably, they're not like Canadians where we have 1.6 kids here in Canada. They probably had 11.9 kids. Okay, so there, there could be 15,000 people here now. You know, so suddenly, you know, our vision statement of being a vibrant, growing Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel sounds really small, if you think of it that way. Because in just a matter of a few days, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going 120, 320, 10,000, 11,000, 15,000. It's crazy what's going on here, right? But because that is a, an incredible move of God that is happening in Jerusalem. And what are the apostles doing? All doing is telling people about Jesus. That's all they're doing. They're just going around in Jerusalem telling people about Jesus, telling people about his telling people about his birth, that, hey, you know all those prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about this Messiah that's to come? It's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All of them point to him, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, the casting out of demons, of, of healing the blind, of healing the lame, of healing the deaf, of dying on the cross, and then rising from the dead three days later. All of that that we've been waiting for has happened and we are witnesses to it. We've seen it. See what they're doing is they're just simply telling their story and they're saying, and then people are responding to this story and they're like, well, what do we need to do? And Peter, John, the other apostles, the other disciples are saying, just repent. You don't need to take a class. You don't need a big seminary degree. This even really doesn't have to make sense to you completely. Just repent. It's like, well, what does repent even mean? It's like, you know that sin that your heart loves? You know that anger that you love? You know that judgment of people that are not like you that we love? Kill it. That's what it means. Kill that. Let God kill that heart and give you a new heart. Because Jesus, that's what he did when he died for you. You, when you accept Jesus, that part of you died. Repentance means we just let it go. And we leave it at the cross. And we say, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. And then the Holy Spirit comes into us and makes us new. And this simple, clear, non-complicated message of who Jesus is, is what gets Peter and John arrested. Because the religious leaders don't like this. They don't like that these people are teaching. They don't like that they're preaching in the name of Jesus. That's why they executed Jesus, to try to put a stop to this. <laughs> That's why when I talk to my atheist friends about this, I say, well, it's just some man-made thing. And so it doesn't make sense for it to be a man-made thing because no one would die for a message that isn't true. See, I don't die. I don't want to give my life to fiction. I'm not going to, I mean, if those of you who know me know I'm a big nerd and I love Star Wars. Well, except for Disney Star Wars, but that's a whole other message. Okay? But um, I'm not going to die for it. (laughs) 
We don't die for fiction, but all the apostles here died because they've witnessed something true. Okay, so let's continue reading here in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. It says, the next day, so after they spent a night in prison, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. It says, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, what they're referring to is earlier on in Acts chapter 3, Peter healed a beggar. He healed a man who was lame, a man who's over 40 years old, who's been crippled for decades. And Peter healed him in the name of Jesus. And they want to know how he did this. Then in verse 8, it continues. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. Said, so this is what you want to know from me? You want to know how I did this? You want to know what power did this? You want to know how we were able to accomplish this healing? Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you and I'll tell all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, pointing to this beggar. And then continues, verse 11 says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to, uh, given to mankind by which to be saved. What he's saying here is man-made religion, man-made rules, other prophets, other religious gurus, any kind of spiritual teaching, all of these things that are in our culture, in our world, back then and still today, none of these things have the power to save us from our sin. It's only by the power and the name of Jesus. And it continues in verse 13. It says, when they, again, the leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, that's the religious leaders here, and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? You see, the testimony, the witness that they're seeing is like, we've got nothing to say against this. He's healed. He's standing right here in front of us. What are we going to say about this? They got to come up with an answer. And and they continue, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's sight to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
That little last verse is just like a little commentary to show that he's got a legal standing above these religious, among these religious leaders, that his testimony is valid. <laughs> you see, what's happening here is Peter and John, the other apostles, the disciples, they've taken on the role of witness. They've taken on the role of a witness, which is exactly what Jesus asked them to do. You will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. In Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They're taking on the role of a witness. Now, maybe just show of hands, how many of you like courtroom drama movies or TV shows? Show of hands, we got some, we got some hands going way up high, things like that, okay? I, I, I'm kind of hit and miss on them. Um, I like them when they're really cool, and I like it when they're actually smart, and you can figure it out, but you're, like, surprised because you, I was too dumb to figure it out. I don't like the ones where they introduce someone like in the last 30 seconds who wasn't in the whole episode. And I was like, who's this dude? Like, how was I supposed to guess this? Right. But if you think of those courtroom drama movies and TV shows, you have three different roles that are happening in the in the thing. You've got a witness. So that's that person who's brought up to the stand. And what is the role of the witness? The witness simply tells what they have seen. That's it. You're not there to convince the jury. You're not there to manipulate. You're not there to coax. You're not there to get your way. You're simply there to tell your story. The next person that we see in a courtroom drama is the lawyer. What is the role of the lawyer? Well, the lawyer there is gathering all the facts, and either they're trying to do one of two things. Either they're trying to show that a certain person is guilty. So they're gathering all the facts. They're gathering all the evidence. They're the one that's presenting the case in such a way to get the jury to choose their opinion. And then finally, we have the judge. And the judge is the one who takes all of this information and then makes a verdict. Guilty or innocent. See, three different roles that we see in these shows. A witness, a lawyer, or a judge. I've come to, to believe in my 20 years of walking with Jesus is the reason why we don't see as much of Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 in the modern day Canadian church is because we're trying to be the lawyer or we're trying to be the judge. And I say this with a loving smile on my face. And I have never seen that as much as I have this year on social media in the church. See, for some reason, we think as Christians in the West that we will bring people to Jesus by being a lawyer, I'm going to present all the facts. I'm going to present all the facts. I'm going to present all the facts. I'm going to just, and I'm just going to hit you with fact, hit you with fact, hit you with fact. And here's another YouTube video. And here's another article. And here's another book. And here's another sermon. And here's another this. You just need this. You need this. You got to watch this. You got to watch this. Yeah, but I think, no, I don't want to hear your thoughts. I'm telling you, I'm the lawyer. <laughs> or we play judge <laughs> when we see people who live lives that we don't agree with when we see people who are struggling with sin, when we see people who are hurting and broken and lonely and confused and have real questions about faith, we go, no, when you clean up your life, 
then you can be part of our church. When you believe like I believe, then you can join my life group. When you're exactly like I am, then I'll love you. Because I don't, I don't like people like you around me. You're guilty. See, when the church plays the role of lawyer and the church plays the role of judge, why would anyone be attracted to that? Because <laughs> it's not what Jesus has asked us to do. Now, there is a role, and I know some of you are going to sit there and you're going to email me tomorrow and say, Pastor Kevin, what about this verse that tells us to judge one another? Okay, don't email me that. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now what that's for. It's for in the church. We hold each other to a higher account as the church. See, my sin sucks. And I hate it. And I'm more concerned with the sin in my life than in the sin in some non-Christian. <laughs> and I want to see the Holy Spirit work in my life. I want to see the Holy Spirit work in the church's life. And we'll, that's why we do fellowship, to pray together, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, and guess what? To correct every once in a while. <laughs> that's fellowship, <laughs> right? But that's for in here, not for out there. We're called out there to be witnesses. And what does a witness do? Just tell your story. <laughs> See, God has not asked you, to be the lawyer or the judge to the non-Christian world. You don't have to convince them at all. You don't have to debate them at all. You just tell your story. You see, I came to Christ 20 years ago by reading a Bible on my commute to work. And my goal for doing that was not because I was a Christian. My goal for doing that was because I was a prideful, arrogant guy who was going to disprove the existence of God. Because I had met some Christians. And they were telling me stuff about Jesus that I did never heard before and didn't agree with. So I said, they're all crazy. I'm going to read this for myself. So just reading this on my commute to work, I started in Genesis, got all the way into the New Testament, ended up into about the book of Ephesians, and then realized, uh-oh, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and I need Jesus. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And I prayed at that moment, God, whatever you want to do, do it. My life is yours. And I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll be anyone you want me to be for your glory. I come home. To my wife, Danielle, who's not a Christian at that time, told her what I did. I'm all excited. How happy do you think she was? She'll tell her testimony in another way. Not happy at all. <laughs> right? And she said, what about this? What about this? What about this? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I stopped in my marriage of trying to be the lawyer and stopped trying to be the judge. And I just told my story. Well, this is what God is doing. This is what God is doing. At my workplace, this is what God is doing. This is what God is doing. See, and when you look at this story here in Acts chapter 4, what are the apostles doing here? They're doing exactly that. This is what God is doing. <laughs> look at this man healed. He was lame for decades, and now he's walking. We did this in Jesus' name. Look at us. We were uneducated fishermen. 
And now we're standing here before these amazing leaders, these incredibly educated men. We never would have had an opportunity to talk to you before. So we're just going to tell you what God is doing in our lives. When we stumble over our words and we don't know what to say, I think it's because you're trying to be a lawyer or you're trying to be the judge. I know that's what it does in my life. So how do we lean more into being a good witness? Three quick things that I want you to see from this text to help us grow in being a better witness. The first is that you can find this in verse 8, where it says in chapter 4, verse 8, says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. See, you need an anointing of the Holy Spirit to be a good witness. See, every single Christian who repents of their sin, puts their lives in Jesus' hand, turn from your sin, turn back to God, ask Jesus to forgive you for, of your sin, every Christian... Every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. But whenever the New Testament talks about filled with the Spirit, what it's talking about is a special move of the Spirit. That it's, you can see it. You, you, you can feel it. Right? That's why sometimes when, when you, depending on how your heart is, when you come into church, you come into church online on a Sunday morning, sometimes you come in and you worship and, and you're hearing a message and, and, you, and you just feel something different that you might not have felt the week before. See, that's that filling. That's that special move of the Holy Spirit. And you can't manufacture that. <laughs> you can't make that up. You can't manipulate it. It's just something that God does when he's at work and people notice it. It's different, right? It's a special working of the Holy Spirit there. And again, what tends to happen is when I play lawyer or when I play judge, convincing, arguing, debating, you need, judging, all of these things, I can speak from experience that there's very little anointing in that, if any. Because I've stepped out of bounds. I'm playing a role that God has not asked me to play. But when you do what God has asked you to do, Jesus just wants you to tell your story. Just tell your story. How did you put your faith in Jesus? How often do you tell people that story? Do your kids know that story? Do your grandkids know that story? Do your friends at work know that story? Do your friends at school know the story of how you've put your faith in Jesus? See, because here's the thing. There's nothing to argue about there. (laughs) Why is there nothing to argue? Because it's your story. It's not a YouTube video that you're trying to debunk. It's not a vaccine truth or thing that you're trying to debunk. It's not a this or that or anything that you're trying to prove that you're right. It's your story. And they go, okay, cool, 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 cool. There's nothing to say. And when you do that, suddenly you feel this power. You feel this closeness to God because you're actually doing what Jesus tells you to do. And I've come to realize that again in 15 years of being a pastor, this is in how I share my faith. And it's in how I lead as a pastor to lean in, to just tell what God is doing. When we made the decision to do church online, and I know being a year and a half online stunk. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I know that. And I know it wasn't the ideal. And I know a lot of you didn't like it. And I've talked to many of you about it. And I said, look, what we did was we put the mission first of seeking and saving the lost. In such a time where the Bible teaches us again and again and again and again and again and again to lay down our rights, to lay down our preferences, to think of other people as better than ourselves, to die to self. There's tons of verses that tell us to sacrifice for the sake of others. That's what we did. And we saw 123 people come to know Jesus this year. And I don't say that boastfully. I say that as thank you for your sacrifice. (laughs) Because in my 15 years of pastoring, I've never had that many people accept Jesus before. Just by telling the story of Jesus. Laying down our rights and just being a witness. Suddenly there's this anointing, this special move of God when we play that role. So you want to seek out that anointing. Do what Jesus has called you to do, and you will experience the anointing. The the second thing is courage. We need to grow in courage. Verse 13 continues in here. Again, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Some other translations call that boldness. Now, being bold doesn't mean arrogant and prideful. That's how we kind of use it in English nowadays. But in the Greek here, what it means is it means confident. But you can just stand firm. This is my story. (laughs) And you can be confident in your story. (laughs) Because you're not trying to think of what to say. You're not trying to think of how to defend yourself. You're not trying to think about how to convince them. You're not trying to judge people. You're not trying to, you know, get people to stop judging you. (laughs) It's your story. Put your feet in the ground and stand firm in your story. Because it's not about us. (laughs) Right? Again, this is Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times, the guy who told Jesus, I don't want you to die, the guy who sank in the water, the guy who grabbed the sword and cut off one of the guard's ears, and Jesus like, put the sword down. That's not what we're doing here. That's Kevin paraphrase here, okay? But he became something different in the power of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly he becomes this man who's not arrogant. He's just confident. Be confident in your story. See, because the big idea today is this. You have the power and the words to go. God gives power and God gives words for you to go, to just tell your story. And then the last thing is this, is the word nearness. Again, from verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they're unschooled, ordinary men. They're astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, these men had been near to Jesus. And becoming near to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit does something that we as Christians call sanctification. It's a fancy theological word that means becoming more like Jesus. You and I become like the person that we hang out with the most. And the more you hang out with Jesus, the more you draw close to him, you become more like Jesus. Again, these are fishermen, you know, uneducated Probably got in a lot of trouble. 
weren't accepted by religious leaders. But because they were near to Jesus, suddenly they start living by the power of the Holy Spirit. They start living lives that look more like Jesus, of doing his miracles, of doing his teaching, of attracting more people to their message. And that's why we take communion, to just take a moment as Christians to remember Jesus. That this is why we gather. This is why we do what we do. We do this to proclaim Jesus. We do this to let the world know about Jesus. But we take a moment as Christians to remember his death and his resurrection. So if you grabbed one of those little cups when you came in, or hopefully you're ready at home as well at Church Online to take communion with us. This little cup comes in two parts. There's a little clear plastic that you pull back, and there you can take out the wafer. And this little cracker, this little wafer here, represents the body of Christ. See, the body of Christ that was broken for you. See, it's not man-made rules. It's not man-made religion. But it's this body. And so we just take a moment to remember God's love for us, that Jesus would die for us. So let's just take this in remembrance of him. And then in the same way, when Jesus had his last meal with his followers, he took a cup of wine that's represented by this little cup here, this juice. And Jesus said, there's a new covenant now in my blood. And what that covenant means, it means that there's a new relationship between humanity and God. That all the ways that we've tried as humans to live our lives, to please God, to make God love us. Jesus says, no, that's all done away with. See, it's my blood that forgives sin. And it's my blood that makes you clean before God. There's no religion. There's no rule. There's no tradition. There's nothing. It's the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And so we remember that blood that was spilt for us while we were enemies of God, while we wanted to live our own lives, while we wanted to do things our own way. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. So let's take this in remembrance of him. So my question for you is this. I have two questions I want to conclude with. The first is this. Do you even know who Jesus is? Maybe you're joining us here today. You're joining us at church online and and you know God and you know church. Or maybe this is completely new to you. And someone invited you here. You saw a link. There was some outreach thing and you just kind of got connected with us. And you're hearing this message about God's love. And again, right where you are, here in this room or right at church online, you can know God. And you can know peace with God. And you can get this power that God talks about by simply turning from your sin and accepting him. And you can do that right where you are, just by praying real simply right here in the room. Just praying, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life. Make me new. 
And if you do that today, a pop-up shows up at Church Online. I'd love if you click that pop-up so we can follow up with you today. If you do that in the room here, come and see me outside after the service. Let me know you've done that, and I want to rejoice and celebrate with you today as you've given your life to Jesus. And for those of us who've done that, maybe if it was today or if it was decades ago, what I want you to do this week in your life group, because I got a big red letter now on my clock, I'm over time. (laughs) What I want you to do in your life group this week is ask your group, am I too much of a lawyer? And the lawyers in the room just laughed. Okay. You know what I meant by that? (laughs) Am I spending too much of my time on social media? And in my family and in my workplace, trying to be a lawyer. Or what even worse, do you see in me the spirit of a judge that's condemning people who are far from God? Ask your group. They know you better than I do. And group, be honest with one another. Because God's not called us to be lawyers or judges out in the world. He's called us to be witnesses. And if you want to see power, if you want to receive the words that God called you to have to change the world, you need to be a witness. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for your word. I thank you for the way it equips us and it reminds us, Lord, of just how powerful you are. And Lord, even today, as we reflect on this idea of being your witness, God, this text here in Acts 4 reminds us that you give the power and the words to go. So all of us this day, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our very being with your presence and your love and your power. So that even this afternoon, you would give us the words to say everywhere that we go as your witnesses. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.